Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you just be with us this evening, Lord, as we spend some time in your word, as we've come before you in worship already, Lord, and just praising you. And I pray that, Lord, we would uh, take the words and the, the, the content of the song that we just sang, Lord, and understand that no matter what season we go through in life, life no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, that it is well with our soul, not because of the circumstance we're in or because of us enjoying what we're going through per se in this life. But Lord, it is well with our soul because we have a guarantee of eternal life in you. And so I pray that these are more than words we sing. Uh, I pray that it's something that we desire would be a reality in our everyday life, that it is well. And no matter what comes our way, uh, it is well with our soul because you are with us and you will never leave us or forsake us. And so Father, again, pray you be glorified in all that happens tonight. Lord, open our minds and our hearts to your word that we would have a deeper understanding of all that we are going to be looking at tonight, Lord, in the model prayer. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So tonight, we are going to be finishing our uh, kind of walking through Luke chapter 11. So we handed this out last week. If you were not here, I do have extra copies. And so who was not here last week and needs a copy of Luke 11 and or you forgot it at home, it's somewhere else, folded up somewhere, shoved in a drawer somewhere. I don't know. There you go. There you go. Did you want one, Austin? You want to share? Okay. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. I don't know if he has one or not. So anyone down here? Okay. Yep. You got yours great? Okay, yep. Anyone else? There are clipboards up here as well. If someone would like a clipboard to write on, we've got those available. We've got pens as well. So who needs a clipboard? There you go, bud. There you go. Oh, he might want a clipboard. I gotcha. Okay. Anyone else need one? Clipboard? Yep, okay. When I start leaving them in the seats there. Oh, you gave it to, oh, okay, I see. I like that. He just gave it to his mom. That's great. Anyone else need one? All right. Pens. Writing utensils. No. All right. So, uh, last week, again, we started working through this text, and I believe we got through the first four verses. And so tonight, what we're going to do is, because we've already spent a lot of time that did about 10 minutes last week uh, going through the text. I'm still going to give you guys a few minutes because I know we have some that weren't here last week or maybe don't have your copy and you want to kind of make some notes real quick. So I'm going to give you guys some time, but I'm probably only going to give you about five minutes tonight instead of the normal 10, okay, just to give a little bit of time for those that obviously have already done this. Um, and so take five minutes and what you're going to do, and this is what we've been doing through our, we did it in our Psalm study, we did it in... Uh, Jeremiah 29, I believe, we looked at that chapter, and now Luke 11. So what we're doing is, you have a copy of the, the, uh, the text we're going to be studying, which is Luke 11, 1 through 13. And what you're encouraged to do is to make observations in the text. So circle words, highlight things, if you see groupings of things. Um, obviously, we talked about in verses 2 through 4, we see the model prayer, so you could bracket verses 2 through 4. 
And then right onto the side, model prayer. Um, some call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, last week, it was really kind of interesting. Somebody called it the Disciples' Prayer or the Prayer of the Disciples because they were the ones being taught this prayer. Um, and so that's what we mean. Just make some observations, make some notes, um, circle things that jump out to you. And so I'll give you a few minutes to do that, and then we'll kind of come back together and spend some time kind of breaking apart the text. So again, just take a few minutes, make some observations, and then we'll come back in just a moment.
go ahead and hopefully give you guys, uh, or encourage you rather, to spend some time on this later. Obviously, we encourage you to work on these kind of things at home. Um, and again, as I've always tried to encourage, if this format helps you in studying the Word, um, then honestly, when you do your devotions, just print off the passages you're studying. Um, if you don't really want to write in your Bible, or obviously don't have room to write in your Bible that way, uh, this has always been a really good way for me to study the Word. Uh, it just helps me to kind of see it before me as I'm writing on it and stuff. So if that helps, that's our goal is helping us to break apart and understand the Word of God. So diving into the, the passage again, we, again, we covered the first four verses uh, last week, but just as a review or as a quick review, we see in verse 11, uh, what was the request from the disciples? The verse, chapter 11, verse 1, rather. In the first verse, what's the request of the disciples? Okay, teach us to pray, okay? And we've said this last week. We've said it many times before. This is the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. He didn't, they didn't ask them to teach them to preach, to sing, to do any of these things. They wanted to know how to pray. And then they actually compare it to someone else's teaching on prayer. And who was that? John the Baptist. And so the comparison is, as John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, Jesus, you teach us, your disciples, to pray. And last week we talked about why would that be some actually firsthand knowledge, like there's actual firsthand knowledge of this, and how is that so? How is it that some of the disciples of Jesus have firsthand knowledge of how John the Baptist taught his disciples? What did we talk about last week with that? There were some of Jesus' disciples that were also John's disciples. So John and James, the son of Zebedee, that John, and uh, Andrew were follower disciples of John the Baptist. Then when Jesus came and was baptized, they stopped following John and they started following Jesus. And so when they're speaking here, most likely, it's really one of them speaking on behalf of the group. And their understanding that they saw what the difference was, the difference that was made in their life when John taught them to pray as he prayed. And now they're asking, would you teach all of us to pray this way? This also connects to us the ministry of Christ and the ministry of John the Baptist. And they saw a connection between the prayer life of John the Baptist and the ministry of John the Baptist and the prayer life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And so they're making a connection here. And they want to see that same power in their ministry. And so we said it last week. A lot of people think of John the Baptist as just kind of a very crazy, you know, a lot of weird clothes and ate weird things and kind of this Old Testament prophet type feel, which he was. But really, ultimately, he was more a man of prayer. That's why he had the ministry that he had. That's why he preached with the passion that he preached with, because he was a man of prayer, right? And when he stepped on the scene, he had to be a man of prayer because there was instantly a lot of attention, a lot of negativity, a lot of assumptions about his ministry. He was actually, they thought he was the Messiah, but because he was a man of prayer and humble, right? Ultimately, as we talk about in this model prayer, he had humility and therefore he was prepared for all of that. We also went on to talk about the model prayer itself, all the things that we see in verses 2 through 4, we talked about that this is all dependence. This is all showing dependence on God. In everything we need, we depend on him. His person, his will, his care, his grace, his spirit, and his strength. We need all of that, and we depend on him for those things. And so again, we broke all that apart last week. We also said this is called the model prayer or maybe the disciples prayer, but this is not really the Lord's prayer. And the Lord's prayer is found where? We gave you this last week. Where's the Lord's prayer found? An example of the Lord Jesus Christ praying.
Yes, John 17, right? So John 17 is the kind of a famous prayer where Jesus is praying for himself. He prays for the glory of the Father to be revealed. Then he prays for the disciples that they would be one with, uh, with Jesus, that they would continue to do the ministry that they've been called to do. And then he ends by praying for who? Who does he end the prayer praying for? Prays for himself and the glory of the Father, for the disciples, and then he ends with praying for who? The church, right? He says, I'm actually praying for those who will believe on your word, on the word of the apostles. That's us. That's those of us that are followers of Christ. And so, again, in that prayer, we see a great picture, again, of the heart of Christ. He wanted the glory of the Father on display, and in turn, the glory of the Son. He wanted the disciples to be strengthened, and he prayed for us which set in motion an example that we see him praying for us even today as he intercedes for us. And so again, just an amazing example of that. So we're going to move into verses 5 through 10. So we're going to read quite a few verses here, and then we're going to break apart what we see talked about here. So if I can get somebody that would like to read verses 5 through 10, and you can read it right off the handout here, um, that would be great if someone would like to do that for us. Verses 5 through 10. Who'd like to read that for us? Boy, you guys are so energetic tonight. It is overwhelming, the energy I'm feeling right now. Renee, thank you. Okay, so if we had to bracket this 5 through 10, how would you describe this group, of pas- or this group in the passage, these group of pa- verses in the passage? How would you describe these verses? What's being illustrated here? What's being talked about here? How would you summarize what you see here? Okay, persistent in prayer, making a need known, right? Another way we've heard this described is the fervency in prayer, to be fervent in prayer. And so in verses 5 through 10, we see this fervency or persistence in prayer. And it's an illustration that he gives us, again, from something that they would understand, a real-life example. So what's the basic example? Give me the illustration. What's being talked, what's the example of fervency here? What's the story? You got a man who needs what? Some bread. And why does he need bread? Because a guy showed up, a a traveler showed up at his door, friend showed up at his door. He doesn't have anything to feed him, right? So he goes next door to his friend's house and he knocks on the door. What time of night is this? Midnight. So it's late. Okay, he's knocking on the door and he's wanting bread. The guy from inside the house, the friend, says what? There's a couple things that, that jump out here. What's he say? Okay, I'm in bed with my kids. That's not going to happen, okay? That's, when I read that, I literally stopped, and I was like, there's no way. Nope, mm-mm, nope. Because I, I know when, when kids are little, some people let them do that, but I was always like, nope, you got to go to your own room. So he's in bed with his kids, okay? So this is, they're all sharing a bed, okay? The family's in bed. And then he 
continues to be persistent, continues to knock. So finally, what does the man do? He gets up and he gives him bread, okay? So pretty simple illustration. Man's in need of bread, right, to provide for someone else. So he's, he's interceding, right? Isn't that really what's happening? The friend shows up, the traveler shows up, needs food. He doesn't have food. He goes to the one that does have food and intercedes for the traveler. Hey, I don't have anything. Can you give me some bread to give to him? I'm interceding for his need. And because the man was persistent and didn't just give up after the first no, right, he ended up receiving what he needed. So there's a couple things here. Again, he's in bed with his children. He's also yelling from the bed. I find this kind of interesting. He's not, he does, I can't get up right now, but he's yelling from the bed. Like the children are probably waking up to the sound of him yelling. So again, I thought that was a very guy way to handle this because most men are not going to get up and go look and get up and go check it out. They're just going to holler or just ignore it and try to go back to bed. But this man here, again, finally does get up and give into the need. So again, this man is persistent and continues to ask until the friend realizes he isn't going away and gives him what he needs. So basic lesson, super simple, Christianity 101. When we pray, remember this is all in the context of prayer. So when we pray, we then, and the disciples should be what? Fervent in our prayer, persistent in our prayer. Again, Jesus is teaching his disciples that we must be fervent in prayer, be persistent with God. This is not to convince God. We have to understand this. This is not to convince God of the need, but to demonstrate our faith in God's provision. There's a big difference here. I'm not going, God, if you could do this, please do this, please do this, because I want him to know I really, really need it. Because he, obviously he doesn't know I need it, or else he would just give it to me. We're not convincing God of the need. We're demonstrating to God, God, I trust in your provision. I trust you will provide. I trust you will take care of this. And I'm depending upon you for this. A good verse to write down, obviously, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Now, we've said this many, many times. This does not mean literal, audible prayer. Right? This does not mean 24-7 mumbling prayer. Eyes closed, hands folded prayer. When it says pray without ceasing, you could say it's more of an attitude of prayer. It's I'm constantly in an attitude of prayer. I'm constantly ready, always in an attitude or a mindset of prayer. I come upon a situation, I know how to handle. I'm praying instantly. It's habitual. That's the idea. It's just second nature. Right? With some of us, we have a second nature where when something goes wrong, we panic, we get worried, we stress. Right? We talk to a friend. We have these things that we do that we've created a habit of. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, we need to pray without ceasing. Now, here's where we've got to put a little side note here. I've talked to Christians and to people who say, I don't really have a scheduled prayer time. I don't have a time that I sit down and pray to the Lord. I don't have a time where, like, you know, at, at 6.30 to 6.45, I'm praying in the morning. I, I, you know, I'm more of one of those pray without ceasing kind of believers. And really all that means is I don't want to give designated time to the Lord. I'm just going to use this sort of spiritual sounding terminology and say that way I never have to really actually sit down and pray. I'm always in this free attitude of prayer. And I feel that that comment and that statement usually comes right along the lines of I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. It's usually those two statements kind of grouped together. So what do we do with that? We have a designated time of prayer. Did Jesus has a, have a designated time of prayer? 
Apparently, it was first thing in the morning, and it was in a certain place. So he had a place of prayer and a time of prayer. And apparently, he was so consistent in this, the disciples knew exactly where he would be and what he would be doing. Because they waited till he was done, and then asked him, teach us to pray. So we pray without ceasing. We're always in an attitude of prayer. But we also need to have a designated time of prayer. A time where we really spend that that engaging time with the Lord. We're investing in the communication with God, right? It's not just an attitude of prayer, although that is important. It's also a designated time of prayer. But I want to look at also verse 9. So we should circle these. So there's some words here that are being encouraged. So ask, right? Seek and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. To the one who asks, what will be the result? Okay, it'll be given you. The one who seeks shall find. And the one who knocks, what's the result? It will be opened unto you. So you want to understand these, the tenses of these verbs. It's not a one-time thing. A better way to understand it would be keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. That's the way in the original language. When it says ask seek and knock, it's the tense of the verb in the original language is saying to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. This isn't a one-time thing. So again, we don't do this to convince God of our need. We do this to continually depend upon him, to show him we are in need. I wanted to share uh, from Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary. I like the way that they uh, talked about this idea. They actually are talking to the parallel passage in Matthew but obviously the same content, the idea of asking, seeking, and knocking. But I like what they say here because we see three desires from us to God in a different light. So three desires from us to God presented in a different light. This is what Jameson Fawcett Brown says. We ask for what we wish, we seek for what we miss, and we knock for that from which we feel ourselves shut out. We ask for what we wish, we seek for what we miss, and we knock for that from which we feel ourselves shut out. Answering to this threefold threefold representation is the triple assurance of success to our believing efforts. It's not that we have to, you know, some people get in their minds, I have to like seek, 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 and, and knock, and all this, and try to think of it in different levels. It's just saying expressing that need, expressing that desire in different ways, in different lights, so that we can understand no matter how we're pursuing him, what's the guarantee? There will be assurance of an answer. There will be an answer. If you ask, it'll be given you. If you knock, it shall be opened unto you. If you seek, you shall find. So again, that's a promise in prayer. And so again, whether in verse 9 or even in verse 10, because we see the same thing. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. And him that knocks, it'll be open. And so you can jot somewhere out next to verse 10. That's a promise. That is a guarantee to the believer that when we are persistent in prayer, he will answer. He will speak to that need. Now, God, God is not bound to open the door because we demand him to. This is where we have to be very careful here. We're not saying God will open any door because I told him to. We are still not God. We are still not sovereign. We are still finite creatures. We are under his sovereign control, under his authority. 
So he does not open a door. He's not bound to open a door because we demand it. He says he will open the door by his will, which will be the heart of our prayers as his spirit conforms and renews our minds. I'm more persistent in prayer. I'm calling out to him and I'm believing I'm asking in his will. And if it is in his will and I'm asking in Jesus name, he's going to open the door. He's going to allow me to receive what it is that he has for me. I don't have to convince him to open the door. I don't have to talk him into it or negotiate some deal with him so he'll do what I want him to do. It's just persistency. It's saying, no, God, I need to be fervent in this, and I believe you are going to answer. Now, there's a question that comes up in this, and I'll ask it to to you guys and see what your thoughts are on this. So the question that usually comes up when we speak about something like this is, how long then do I pray for something? That's a question I've heard many, many times. I know I'm supposed to be persistent. I know I'm supposed to be fervent, but I've been praying for this thing for fill in the blank. X amount of years, X amount of months, or X amount of weeks. How long then do I pray for something? So let me ask you, if you were talking to a Christian friend and having coffee or maybe talking through text, and they said, hey, I've been praying for this for a long time. I know I'm supposed to trust God and keep praying for it. But really, honestly, how long am I supposed to pray for this thing? What would your, what would your response be? What would you encourage that person with if they asked you that question? How long do I pray for the same thing without seemingly getting an answer? It seems as though I'm not hearing anything. Nothing's happening. The situation isn't changing. So, so how long do I pray for this thing? How long am I persistent in this prayer? What would your encouragement be? Okay, absolutely. I love that. As long as it's on your heart, it needs to be prayed for, right? Big or small, if it's on your heart, God wants to hear about it, right? Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, Sandra. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't she, the look on her face was like, it seems pretty obvious. I don't know. Until God gives you an answer. Okay. Are, are, we, are we good with that answer? As long as it's on your heart or until God gives you an answer. Will we go to that? I, I agree with that 100%. Any other thoughts on that? Has anyone ever come and asked you this kind of a question before? Have you ever had a conversation about prayer with someone like this before? Have you maybe ever struggled with this? I know I have. God, am I just wasting time? Is this ever going to change? Is it ever going to get better? Yeah, Renee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love that. Let scripture encourage scripture, right? I don't just base this on one verse. I can go to countless scriptures that remind me of God's character, God's love, God's compassion for me and compassion for others. And so, yes, the answer is basically, and I love it, as long as God is leading you to pray for something, you pray for something. And if you believe God has not answered that prayer yet with a no or a yes or a not right now, then you continue to pray about it. And again, not to convince God. 
We can't fall into that kind of pagan way of thinking. Remember Jesus said, don't pray like the pagans do with all these vain repetition or all this vain repetition, all these vain words. You think the more you say, the more God will hear you and believe you and do what you want. He's not a genie. He doesn't have to be convinced, but he is our God. And so what will help us stay focused and have the right mindset in our prayer life so that we're persistent and fervent in prayer? Well, he tells us in the rest of the passage. Because if we are fervent in prayer, the way we remain fervent is by trusting the heart of our God in prayer. So look at verses 11 through 13. Can I get one more volunteer that would like to read 11 through 13? Who wants to read that for us? Sandra, go ahead. Okay, so here Jesus uses a parent-child relationship. So if you're taking notes, you want to circle those two words or, or highlight those two words in verse 11. A son and a father. A son and a father. Because again, remember, all in the context of prayer. Who are we going to when we pray? We're going to the father as one of his children. We're his sons and daughters. And so there's a relationship there. That's going to spur us on to continue to be faithful and fervent in prayer because he's our father. He loves and cares for us. And so again, it's to show that God is a God that loves us and wants to give us what we need. If a son asked a father for some bread, he wouldn't give him a stone. That would be evil. Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's using a very simple illustration to use to explain a greater truth. If in a human relationship, if your son or daughter came to you and asked you for something pretty simple, I would like a piece of bread. No one would give them a stone, assuming that that's going to fit their need and fulfill their need. And Jesus is using a silly illustration, right? Even a humorous one to draw us to this reality. And the contrast here, I believe, if you've ever read this and found this humorous, it is kind of funny. It's, he asks for bread and gives him a stone, a fish gives him a serpent, an egg gives him a scorpion. And I don't, when I read that, I, I pictured those things in my mind and it would be pretty funny to see a kid walk up and say, dad, can I have an egg for breakfast? Sure. And there's a scorpion on the plate. Like that's weird. That's strange. And it kind of brings that humor to our minds. And now I know we don't think of Jesus as being humorous, right? We don't think of him being funny, but he used humor in his teaching. I mean, think about the whole idea with the, the, piece of like basically a toothpick in your eye, a piece of sawdust in your eye or a two by four in your eye, right? And if you imagine someone walking up to someone with a two by four in their eye and they go, Hey, you got a little something in your eye, right? Right here. You got a little something in your eye. Well, you'd be like, well, yeah, you got a lot of something in your eye. Like, why are you talking to me? That would be humor. And so again, it's humor in teaching. And so again, Jesus is okay with using this to kind of draw our attention to the silliness, the ridiculousness of us refusing to pray, refusing to be fervent because we don't trust the heart of the father. The only reason a son would go to the father and ask for a need to be met is because he trusts the heart of the father to provide for the need. But if a son cannot trust the heart of the father and thinks that it's, he's evil or has an evil heart, then he's not going to trust that the need will be provided. And so Jesus says here very firmly 
He says, you can trust the heart of our God. You can trust the heart of the Father. God's children never have to be afraid of the answer that God gives them in prayer. Yes, God will sometimes say no to our prayers, but it is because that is what's best for us right now. So again, he is not uh, saying he's going to always say yes. What he's saying is, I will always provide what you need. I will always provide the best need for you. The other thing we have to note is in verse 13. He says, if ye then, being evil. So who is the group that's evil? Who's he referring to when he says, if you, being evil, can give good gifts unto your children? Who's he referring to there? Yeah, all of humanity. It's a blanket statement. So in this, he's actually teaching that humanity at its core has fallen into sin. That we're all evil at our core. So again, he's using this even in prayer to teach the difference between God the Father and us. That there is a division. There is a distinction. God is not like us. God is nothing like us. He is so different from us. He is holy and just and righteous. And Jesus is saying, stop comparing God to each other. Stop thinking God is like you or thinks like you or feels like you or acts like you. He doesn't. He's above all of that. You give good gifts to your children and you're evil at your core. Like you're sinful through and through, but you know how to give a good gift. Why would you then assume God being greater than you can't give a good gift? And so again, it's this comparison of changing our perception. We go to God so often and we pray like he's us, like he thinks like us, like he has the same concerns as us. He doesn't. When we go to him and we cry out to him, he is working in ways we can't even fathom. He is doing things for his glory that you can't even understand. And we sometimes go to him or we rather don't go to him and ask for a need or cry out to him consistently because we think he doesn't really want to hear. He doesn't care. He can't do anything about it. He doesn't really love us. Because we think that about ourselves. This isn't a big deal. It's a small thing. And so we discount it. And God says, no, I'm not like that. Come to me and I will give you what you need. Now notice as well how the passage ends. What's that last phrase there in verse 13? How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, I don't know if you've ever studied this and you ever thought, that's a strange way to end that because nowhere so far has he talked about the Holy Spirit. The disciples haven't asked for the Holy Spirit, right? They haven't said, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray that we might have the Holy Spirit. That's not what they said. They just said, we just want to know how to pray. So can you teach us how to pray? Well, compared to Matthew seven eleven, so you can jot this down there as well. This is the comparison to this same idea. Matthew seven eleven, where Matthew records it, this end of this prayer as give us good things or give good things to them that ask him. So in Matthew's account, it doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. It just says, uh, give good things to them that ask him. So Matthew says that when you cry out persistently and fervently that God, because he loves you and because he cares for you, he will give you good things or give you the good thing that you need. Here in Luke's account, he actually says that he will give you the Holy Spirit. So what's the comparison here? What's the reason for this? We can say that the good things in Matthew are the good things of the Spirit. So blessings that were reserved for a select few in the Old Testament are now available to all who ask through Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now 
the Holy Spirit that was reserved for a select few in the Old Testament. Now Jesus is saying, when you cry out to God and you confess and you repent and you come to him as father, he will give you the spirit of God. He will give you all the blessings and the gifts and the benefits of the spirit. He will give you everything you need in the spirit. And it's an amazing reality that is new to the New Testament church. I love what one author said in regards to this verse. He says this, the best example of a good gift is the Holy Spirit. According to Luke eleven thirteen, we begin to see a twofold purpose of prayer to increase our understanding of what God calls good and to cultivate a desire in us for what is good. So what is the good thing that we really need from God? The spirit of God in us, with us. We have that through the salvation that we have in Christ. And then from that, we can cultivate by God's spirit an understanding of what is good, what God desires for us in our lives. And so again, just an interesting way that Jesus ends this idea. Now, some might teach, well, this means you don't have the spirit unless you ask for him. You have to keep asking for the spirit over and over again. Now, the Bible does say that we are to be filled with the spirit, right? Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. That filled there means to continually be filled, meaning I'm continually seeking that filling. But that filling of the Spirit is not the indwelling of the Spirit. We are indwelt with the Spirit in the moment of salvation. He has complete residence and takes up complete control of us at the moment of salvation. But as we walk with Christ, we surrender more and more of ourselves to him. And as we do that, more and more of the fruit of the Spirit is evidenced. More and more of that Spirit is seen in us. And so really now we're being filled with more and more of his presence. We're not getting more of him. It's really more he's getting more of us. And so here, this is not Jesus saying, ask for the spirit or you don't have the spirit. He's saying, no, when you seek the father, I will give you the spirit. And through that, you will have all that you need provided to you through a relationship with Christ. So in this passage, we see a powerful invitation into a deeper trust and confidence in the Lord that we can call out to him in prayer and he will strengthen us. The disciples saw a direct connection between the ministry of Christ and his prayer life And may we see the same connection that the power of the Holy Spirit in us is going to grow and going to become more evident the more we give ourselves to prayer. Because the more we're in prayer, the more our heart and mind is conformed to the image of Christ. And the Spirit of God is allowed then to have rule and reign in our decision making, in our lives day to day. And we see the glory of God go forth. And so again, just an encouragement. This is a call to consistent, persistent prayer. That spend time with him whenever we can whether it's first thing in the morning or throughout the course of a day, to just grow in that discipline of prayer. Anything else from the end of this passage before we dismiss? I know we're going to end a little early because we're just finishing up the second half of this, but anything else that stood out to you as you read through this passage that jumped out to you that you want to share as an encouragement or something maybe that spoke to you that we didn't maybe touch on as much or share really tonight? All right, so my encouragement to you is this. We have done a ton of studies on prayer in our church over the years. I've been the senior pastor now for 10 years, almost 10 years. No, yeah, September was 10 years. Um, So 10 years now. We've done small group Bible studies. We've done in-depth studies. We've done lessons like this. All of it is, is, is fruitful if we apply it. 
It's really easy to come in and go, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, I should be persistent in prayer and leave and never actually pray. And I remember when we did a study by Jim Cimbala, it was one of the first times we did it. And in the study, it talked about having a small group prayer meeting that they had, which really wasn't that small. I guess it started growing. But in people in our church, we did this study and everybody was just like, that was amazing. So cool to hear how God moved. And so we were like, well, let's start a small group prayer meeting. And like two people showed up, four people showed up. Because oftentimes in church, we hear things taught that we agree with. We know our right. We know our truth from God's word. But it's a lot harder to take that and then apply it to our lives. And so my challenge to you is don't leave tonight going, that was really interesting. That was really, that really helped me grow in knowledge and understanding. I pray that it would transition to application. That we would become disciples of Christ who are devoted to prayer. Not just casual popcorn prayer. That's fine when something comes up. Not just attitudes of prayer, but devotion to prayer. And just making time for that. To look for opportunities to pray. Whether it be on Sunday mornings and getting here a little early and going into the gap room. And and just spending 10 minutes or 5 minutes in prayer. Uh, Maybe it's Wednesday night. And I know a lot of you guys are here on Wednesday nights. uh, You know, praying during that time. Whether it's Sunday nights coming together and we spend some time in prayer. Whatever it is. Making time, not only individually or as a family, but as a church. To say, this is important to us. We, we need to pray. And I've said it for a long time, and I truly believe it's, it's based on the word of God. It's true. We will never be the church we're called to be without prayer. We'll never be the church that can reach this community without being a church of prayer. And I believe that's the engine that will drive the church. And so let's go forth from this study tonight and last week and become disciples of prayer. All right, let's pray. And we'll let you guys be dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this evening. And Father, we thank you for your word. I know that, Lord, we can just easily say, well, we just keep praying until you answer. And, and I know that's the answer. That's the truth. Or I was, as was shared, we, we pray believing that you are the God who does hear us and respond, even though we don't see the results. We continue to pray because it's on our hearts. It's on our minds. And as long as it's there, we're going to keep praying about it. But Lord, if we're being honest, that, that's easier said than done. It, it's, it's easy to get disappointed, discouraged when we have prayed for something for a long time. Or to us, I should say, Lord, a long time in our understanding of time. And we don't see the result. We don't see the fruit. We don't see that, that, that prayer being answered. And Father, we know that you are answering prayers that we have prayed. You're doing things behind the scenes that we can't even understand. But Lord, I know that it's difficult to continue to be faithful to pray for something. So I'm so thankful that it's your spirit in us that drives us and motivates and pushes us to keep praying. It's your spirit in us that prays the things that we don't even know what to pray. And so Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in this, to go deeper in prayer to just get back to the simplicity of it, which is just conversation with you, just communicating with you, our heart, our mind, our struggles, our desires. And Lord, I believe that when we ask and seek and knock, that you will answer, you will open the door. You will do what needs to be done for your glory. And so I pray that you'd conform us to your will, that our hearts and minds would be conformed to the image of Christ. 
that our prayers would be in agreement with your will, that those prayers can then be answered for your glory. And, and Lord, I, I do, I just ask that you would help us to just apply this to our lives. And maybe somebody here, Lord, doesn't have that discipline of prayer. They've not really made a point of having a time of daily prayer. Maybe tonight they would make that decision to say, maybe starting tomorrow, I'm going to commit to pray for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is. And, and I'm going to do that from this time until this time. And I'm just going to set my alarm. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do it. And so, Father, I pray that they would make that decision tonight, surrender to that, and then follow through by your grace. It doesn't seem like much. What's 10 minutes in the morning of prayer? But, Lord, as we've said many, many times, it's not the big decisions, it's not the big changes that we make in our lives that cause the biggest impact. It's the little things we do consistently. It's the little changes. It's the little commitments that when we keep those, that will lead to big results. And so, Father, thank you for all that you have done and continue to do in our lives today through service this morning and tonight. And I pray that we would just enjoy being in your presence. Go with us now, we ask, as we go into our week and our jobs and our schools and all that we have ahead. And may you use us to glorify you and share the gospel with someone in need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you guys are dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday at 645.